All right, guys. Welcome to Car Thoughts with David. And today on the show, I have an interview with Miss Kristen Sherry. Uh, she is the Amazon bestseller uh, book writer of a book called UMAP, uh, which if you are looking for great career advice and tips and uh, ways to write better resumes, ways to find out what you want to do when you grow up, that is definitely the book for you or getting in touch with Kristen directly. But I'm going to let her introduce herself, and then we're just going to delve into this interview. Thank you, David. It's really nice to – I've been wanting to be on your podcast, but I never really wanted to ask, actually. So I'm really excited. <laughs> so I am a career consultant and a speaker and a trainer, and I help people with Mondays. So I have two companies, Virtus Career Consulting, which actually does career transition consulting and student coaching. Stephanie Hall is the student coach that works with me at Virtus. And then I have UMAP LLC, and basically we certify people who are aspiring coaches or established coaches or people who are in HR or career services like LinkedIn writers and um, resume writers who want to expand their suite of services to include career discovery coaching. So that's what I do. I certify those folks as well. Very cool, very cool. And I know you've been certifying quite a few people uh, recently. I saw that, like, Lori uh, and, and a couple other people uh, in our in our circle have been uh, certified recently. And I was like, you know, that's really cool. It's growing really fast. I mean, and you've been speaking, uh, I, I guess, outside the country as well, right? That's right. I actually just started the certifications in October. And with this, the two classes starting in February, we're going to have 40 certified coaches and workshop facilitators in Canada, in the United Arab Emirates, and all across the United States. It's surreal. Wow. So, I mean, all that just came about, you know, so fast. I mean, that's really, I mean, you know, one minute I'm hearing you talk about your book coming out, next minute you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going here, I'm going there, certified people, and I'm just like, wow. You know, it's amazing how things uh, take off, uh, especially through the power of LinkedIn, you know. And, and, Absolutely. Uh, Amazon. <laughs> well, can I just say that one of the things I've learned from this experience is when you have something to offer or you create something, whether it's a product or a service or wh whatever it is, you can really underestimate the market need or that what you have to offer has any value. Because I was using UMAP just myself in my own practice, and it didn't occur to me for a while to share it with the world. And as people started to see it, they would say, wow, you know, there's really nothing like this kind of holistic framework to really help people, um, not piecemealing different things together. And I, I wouldn't believe people when they would tell me, you know, this is a really big deal. This is really valuable. And it took a lot of people kind of just like, wow, <laughs> before I actually believed it. And it's funny because it was – sort of easy for me to create because I use my strengths to build it. And so we tend to undervalue our own strengths and the things that we make or create or can do. And that's been a real lesson for me. I teach people that, not to undervalue, because when they do something naturally, it's easy, so they don't think it's special. And I actually fell into that trap myself, and it was a lesson of putting myself in the job seeker's shoes that you know, realizing that what they can do uh, best is special and has value to someone. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a valuable, you know, lesson to learn because so many, like you said, so many people think, oh, well, you know, that that came really easy to me. So, you know, that's that's not really a special talent or a gift or an ability. That's just uh, that's just normal me, you know. That's and, uh, right. And, yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that that thing that you're really, really, you know, good at or skilled at could be something that could be a career if you're in the right circumstances or or, you know, something that could become a, a something that turns into a career, like writing a, a book, you know, and then game on the Amazon bestsellers list, like what you did with, with your UMAP book. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, sometimes you don't uh, see those things until after it happens and you're like, wait, wait, that did, that did work. <laughs> yeah, it's like this imposter syndrome, like people are going to figure out this really isn't that great or it really isn't that special or it really isn't that good. And you're just waiting for pe- for someone to come and say, you know, people are just creating this, this fanfare, but it's really fan fiction. <laughs> You're just waiting for someone to tell you this really isn't good what you did, and it's just this weird thing. I don't know. It's been really kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I've I've definitely been there um, as I've started writing and stuff. You know, I, I've caught myself in that trap where I'm like, you know, I'm telling people, like, hey, if you don't mind checking this out or looking this over, I mean, I know it pretty much probably sucks, but <laughs> – you know, just just let me know your honest feedback. I want to know your honest feedback, and then they respond back, and they're like, "Oh no, this was awesome." I'm like, um, "Please don't be saying this because you're just being nice to me." I want your honest. <laughs> and they're like, "No, no, no, this is really awesome. This is good. I like this." So I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool. Uh, well, that that wasn't the answer I expected." So I had to. I've, I've definitely been dealing with that a lot myself uh, recently. Well, well, I bought your book, as you know, and my husband has it right now. So I don't. I, he snagged it off my desk, so I haven't had a chance to read it. But <laughs> he's going to read it first, and I'm excited to read it next. Very cool. Well, I hope. I definitely hope you guys enjoy it. That was my. Well, it was my second science fiction book, but it was actually recommended by a uh, friend on LinkedIn. He actually gave me the idea for the characters and everything, and I. I wrote it. I wrote it for him. Yeah, you know, basically. I oh, that's like, neat. Even if I, even if even if I only sell one copy, and it's the one copy that I buy to send to him, you know, it's worth it. You know, because he's the one who inspired that. So that was kind of my my gift to him for giving me that that idea. What a neat what a neat legacy to leave for someone. I wrote my first book for my mom, and so that was really special to be able to do that. That's awesome. Well, yeah, and I kind of, I guess I got the idea because my first book, the science fiction novel that I hope to have out in a couple weeks, uh, was kind of uh, a gift to my dad. You know, I wanted to give him a book that he hasn't read before, um, and he's read a lot. So, um, you know, I took that on as a personal challenge to, to learn how to write and to write a book and to give that to him. And then when I had this other idea, I was like, why not go and do it? Sure. I mean, Amazon, I can print it for free, you know, I mean, or, or publish it for free and then, you know, buy a copy and send it to them. So. I get so many messages on LinkedIn, even one today, from people who want to write a book. I read a statistic that said 80% of people want to write a book. I was like, really? That many? It was amazing. But when you look at the number of people who actually do, it's much, much smaller, obviously. So. I get that question a lot, you know, I, I want to write a book, can you help me? And that's a really kind of overwhelming, <laughs> so many parts <laughs> to writing a book. Do people ask you that question? Uh, yeah, actually I have gotten several people who've asked me for help or even asked me to like, hey, I started writing a book. 
Um, I got this one the other day. I started writing a couple books, but I never finished them. If I send them to you, would you finish them? <laughs> really? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so interesting. I actually got a, a really cool message uh, from someone who had done the same thing. Kristen Olson Cott um, wrote to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, I wrote a book like 10 years ago. I'm like, 10 years ago? And she's like, yeah, and I never did anything with it. And she said she had it illustrated, and it was, like, literally finished. And I thought, well, what are you doing? Like, send it to me. And she sent it to me, and it was really good. Like, it was really good. I wanted to buy it and read it to my kids because it's a children's book. And so I said, you know, I'll hook you up with my publisher. And uh, my publisher picked it up, and now she's going to be published. That is awesome. That is so cool because, I mean, that, and that's the thing, you know, I, I think everybody has a story to tell inside of them. You know, I, I think literally probably everybody could write a book that would be interesting and unique. Um, and, and you know, with that, you know, there's there's obviously, um, you know, less walls put up, you know, with, with the means of publishing that are available now. You know, a lot of people could go out there and write those books with little or no um, – you know, roadblocks along the way to actually put it out. You're right. I self-published my first two books, and that was really huge for me to be able to expand my reach, to get more uh, speaking engagements, and really just get myself out there because um, people don't really ask you, are you self-published? Did the publisher pick you up? You just They're just like, oh, here's a book that you wrote, you know, in their hands, and for whatever reason, people are tend to be really impressed by that. I think because people know that writing a book is a lot of work, and so they admire the, I guess, discipline <clears throat> that they perceive you have to do it. But it really opened a lot of doors. And then once you've published a book or two, then, then that creates more opportunity to approach a publisher uh, and be able to, to get published by a publisher. But what I found with aspiring writers is they really undervalue their writing and their work and they like a friend of mine she wrote a book recently and it's an amazing book and I said you should submit it to a publisher and she said oh that's very nice of you to say but I don't think a publisher I don't think it's good enough and do you know like a publisher like within two weeks turned around and snapped up her book so I if, if anyone listening is an aspiring writer don't just dismiss your writing as not good because honestly when I write books myself I read them and I'm like, oh my gosh, my writing is awful, this sucks. I'm really hard on myself. But then you know what? There's this beautiful thing called an editor. <laughs> and they can clean up any of your janky mistakes. And so a lot of times people forget that. Like that's what editors are for, to, to help you write stronger, to catch your mistakes, to ask questions. Hey, this doesn't make sense here and and really the final product is much better than if you if you had done it alone writing a book is definitely not an, an independent effort there's so many people whether it's people who read it and give you feedback or write testimonials for you or help you promote it it takes a village really to to get a book out but um, my friend was like stunned that anyone thought it was good and I read it and I, I my eyes were watering with emotion I was so moved by her book so it amazes me it's back to what we just talked about at the beginning that people undervalue their own their own gifts but you're right people really do have a story to tell I think everyone does as well 
because people will say, oh, I don't want to write about leadership or I don't want to write about conflict or I don't want to write about uh, even writing a book or whatever because there's so much information about that already. But your unique story that no one else has lived is not out there. That's so truly you said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And actually, that uh, rings so true with me because uh, right after I started getting into LinkedIn real heavily, um, I actually, Toph Evans actually reached out to me and hopped on a call with me because I wrote something on one of his posts, and he was like, dude, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but I need to get on a call with you. <laughs> and um, and he actually told me, you know, when we started talking about that I was trying to write a science fiction novel, he was like, you know, because I was like, well, you know, I mean, it's whatever, and I'm just going to try and get at least a copy for my dad or whatever so I can give him a book. And he said, no, 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 you don't think like that. No matter how many millions of books there are on shelves today, your book is not on the shelf. And oh, I love so that. Don't let, don't let anyone dissuade you or discourage you from writing your book or think or don't let even yourself that you're you're not good enough to put a book out there because your book's not on the shelf. And that's important. <laughs> yeah, I really think that that's so, so, so key that – a lot of people write books and throw them up on Amazon, so it's so overwhelming. You're like, oh, my gosh, there's 10 million titles on Amazon. I'm just going to be in a sea. But a lot of people don't promote their book. They write it, they put it up there, and they never promote it. So even if you can get, like, 50 people or 100 people to buy your book through some promotion, you'd be surprised how much up in the ranks that you can move. You'll you'll jump, like, 5,000 books with one sale or 50 it depends what category you're in but you can I literally like have an interviewing book my last book that sold two copies in one week and jumped up 500,000 in the sales rate because those other books aren't being promoted so they're not selling any copies absolutely yeah my first book I put out it sold I think I, I think it was a similar thing it sold like two or three copies and I was like in the top 500,000 out of, if I'm not mistaken, it's somewhere around 6.1 million uh, yeah. books on Amazon right now. So I thought that I was really proud. I was like, ooh, I broke 500,000. <laughs> there you go. So another thing I find when people want to write a book is um, they really don't think about why they want to write it. And so they're kind of disappointed with the effort. Um, I had very clear reasons why I wrote each of my books. So the first book I wrote, I wrote it specifically as a credibility booster. I wasn't trying to make money. So I wasn't disappointed when it only sold 275 copies in, in, when it, when it, uh, in its first year. Um, but, but writing a book is, is something that you really have to think about. Why am I, why am I doing this? Because it's so much work. If you're thinking, I'm going to write this to make money. Well, the Authors Guild has done a survey recently, and they found that full-time authors are making $20,000 a year on average. That's their full-time job. And then people who write books that have another job make about 5000 and change a year. So a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm going to write a book, make it a bestseller, and I'm going to be live the author life. And I'm not saying this to discourage people from writing a book because writing a book opens amazing doors. You can mail it to prospects to, to use it as like a business card, you know, um, and get radio spots and 
um, get into companies that you're trying to work with, generate leads with it, and you can sell your services more easily, position yourself as an authority. Like I said, create speaking opportunities and meeting media attention and build your local business and really just create a tool to help more people. So if you want to help a lot of people, for example, with a book, not everybody's trying to help people. Some people are writing fiction, of course. But if you're trying to help people and you get a lot of messages asking you for free help, it's really great to give them a link to the book. And you can say, hey, you can even buy the Kindle for like three bucks. And that way you're not typing out the same answers to things. <laughs> That's honestly why I wrote my interview book, because I was typing out interview advice to like 10 people a day who are messaging me on LinkedIn. I thought, this is bananas. I'm going to put this in a book <laughs> and give people the link when they ask me for help. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's so key. I've had tons of people reach out to me about getting help about podcasting, how to start, what to do, what you need to do to get started to be successful at it and to get a good jump start on it. So I actually wrote a podcasting book, a very short, small book, um, and, you know, it's like 99 cents on Kindle, and it's like, okay, cool, you know, here's this book. It's really cheap on Kindle. Go out there and buy it, and you'll have all of my information. If you want a print copy, you can buy it in print, too. And, you know, that way, like you said, I'm not constantly repeating that information because now that I've become a podcaster and had people interview on the show, I get flooded with messages of, can you help me sign right. a podcast? How do I come up with a name? How do I come up with this? How do I advertise it? How do I make my website? You know, so I'm just like, do you track your Kindle sales on, on uh, Kindle Direct Publishing? Do you ever log in there and track your sales? Oh, yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That's a, a great tool. I haven't sold a lot of copies of that book yet, but um, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm just now – I just actually put it out, I think, two weeks ago, so I'm just now starting to tell I people. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it on Amazon. Oh, yeah. But yeah. He, do you, at the end of your podcast, do you tell people the name of your book? Hey, pick up my book. <laughs> you should. Uh, I, yeah, you're right. I actually, I actually should. I need to start uh, putting that out as well. I did put it out on my uh, Car Thoughts with David Instagram, like, hey, you know, you can pick this up for 99 cents. So I got a couple sales off of that, actually. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely need to start adding it to the end of the show as well. <laughs> yeah, Mark Metry is on this mission. Um, he's been posting lately. Uh, on LinkedIn about 2019 is the year for you to start your podcast. I, I really don't want one myself because I'm not good at anything that requires doing things consistently. So I just go as a guest on other people's podcasts. It's more fun. Well, and, and that's just important as well is, is, is having that visibility because you're getting access to their, um, their uh, you know, their audience. Um, but, yeah, Gary V. and then I've also seen uh, Mark Metry's post. Both of them have been saying, like, if you run a business, you need to have a podcast because that's where people are going. I want to say like, I saw a statistic on LinkedIn where it said, like, 53% of the active users on LinkedIn listen to podcasts. Wow. Pretty, well, pretty good size. Here's my, <laughs> here's my question, though. What if running a podcast is a burnout skill for someone. I know what they're saying, that everyone who has a business should have a podcast. But what I do with UNAP is I help people figure out what their strengths are, what their values are, what the skills are that they're motivated to use every day, and kind of what their personality is and how that informs their career interests. Those are the four pillars of career satisfaction. So when I hear people say, 
everyone should do this. I look at it through the lens of what I do vocationally and help people figure out things that fit them. So the actual skills and the day-to-day of what you would do to have a contact, that may not be enjoyable for someone. So I'm wondering, you know, if those are burnout skills of, of having a podcast, the, the skills that you have to have to do that, I'm wondering if their advice would be you still need to have one anyway. I'm really curious about that. That's actually a good point. I mean, that's something I really haven't thought out of as far as tying it back to your – tying it back, you know, to, to uh, you know, the, the advice and stuff in, in your book. Uh, but that's a good point. You know, so I, I, when, I, when I advise people is I kind of think about, like, you know, is it something that you really want to do? Is it something that you can commit to? You know, because your audience is going to expect you to be there every day. And I kind of share the story. Like um, one of my good friends uh, started listening to the show. I had no idea he was listening to the show. And then he, he you know, finally messaged me and asked me about that. And then one day my show was late. You know, I was having technical difficulties with the app. And he's like, hey, man, uh, your show's not out. Is it okay? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. The show will be out shortly. I'm just trying to fix this technical glitch. So it's one of those things that once you start to grow a following, uh, you know, people will expect your show to be out at that time each day. So I actually – I pre-record and put out, you know, so I can schedule them so they come out on their own. Um, because obviously if I have a technical glitch, I don't want that to stop the show to be late and the cause. Yeah. Issues. See, what you just said, what you just said reinforced that I have no business doing a podcast. Because if you look at my, <laughs> for, for those listening that aren't familiar with StrengthsFinder, it's an assessment that the Gallup organization has created to help people figure out what their natural talents are. And there are 34 natural talents in humans. And my 34th strength, which is my number one weakness, <laughs> right, because number one through ten are really my strengths. By the time you get to 34, it means no bueno for me. My number 34 strength is consistency. And <laughs> I don't brush my teeth at the same time every day. I don't, so I'm like, if I can't even brush my teeth at the same time every day, there's no way I'm getting a podcast out consistently. In fact, Bobby Umar challenged me to do the 12 days of gratitude, I got three days done and <laughs> forgot about it and never did anymore. I've written articles for LinkedIn. I'm like, here's, gonna, here's a series I'm going to do. I'm going to write the first one and forget the other two. So, yeah, I am not a good candidate for a podcast. Well, see, and we, we were able to discover that just by the conversation. So that's that's what I try and do. I try – you know, the tips obviously through the book because that's easier than rewriting. But I, I try to make sure because I want people, and I, I know this is the same as what you do, you want to make sure you find what works for them. And, you know, podcasting is not it. Then what, what is, you know, what video is it, writing is it, you know, what is it that, you, that makes you happy that's something you can do that's something you enjoy doing? Because obviously if you don't enjoy doing podcasts, why are you doing one? <laughs> I mean, that's, you, know. you just nailed it right there. You just nailed it. People are saying, like, everyone needs to do a podcast. But like really, if if it's something I dread, if it's if it becomes a burden, an obligation that my stomach goes in knots and I think, oh, today's the day I have to re- record my podcast. That is that is I have to believe that that's not good advice. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? There's more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, Wayne Dyer, who wrote Your Erroneous Zones which has sold bajillions of copies. 
he only sold like less than 500 copies when that book came out. But what he did was, now keep in mind, this is before the internet and before podcasts and social media, what he did was he bought a bunch of copies up of his book and he went to radio stations and he said, hey, I wrote this book and I'm going to be in, in your, I'm in your town. I'm here. So if you want to get me on the radio, maybe we could do that tomorrow morning or something. He would do that and he would get on rate on the radio and he would go to the bookstores and he would say, Hey, I'm going to be on the radio and people are going to be come, coming in and wanting to buy this book. So you need to get this on the shelf. And he literally hustled like that. Now that wouldn't work today with computers the way they are and book distributions. You can't just walk in and say, sell my book. You've got to go through Ingram and get it approved and like the, the distributor. It's much more complicated. But my point is he did something that no one else was doing. And so when people give advice like, Hey, you need to be doing this. This is a hot thing everyone's doing. I'm, a, I'm always kind of skeptical of that because I'm sort of a trailblazer. I like to do things that nobody else is doing. I don't like to follow the herd. And the fact that everyone's doing it makes me not want to do it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm actually, in a lot of ways, the same way. I was kind of, when I started doing this podcast, I wasn't even going to do it. I was just like, well, I'll try it, see if it works. And, you know, I've had so many people who have reached out to me as a result and it's opened so many doors, so I'm like, okay, I I enjoy doing this. This is fun, but at the same time, you know, like you said, it's what works for you. You wouldn't want to dread it because honestly, if this podcast got to the point where it was a burden on me psychologically, I'd give it up that day. You know, there you go. If it's, yeah, I, I have no. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> exactly. I, I tell people that on the show all the time. It's like you know, so many businesses fail because people are so bullheaded that they're like. You know, no, this is going to work. Well, if something's not working, cut it. Cut it loose. Get mm-hmm. rid of it. You don't need it. Cut the fat. Find what does work and work with that, you know. It's amazing to me the number of people that stick with things that don't work for them. Like, I I think people um, sometimes lack imagination on what's possible. And I know I'm kind of bringing this back to careers, but I meet so many people who hate the way they spend their day. And they, they just resign themselves to, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I wrote a post about this woman yesterday who called me, and she's like, I hate my job. I'm like, well, let's get you into something different. And she, she kept putting up some walls of why she couldn't do something different. And I kind of talked her off the ledge and had her twist that around, like, what if I could do that? What if it was possible for me to do that? And I got her to trust me to try and step out, and she has completely transitioned to a completely different career, has this great new job that she's about to start, which I'm so excited for her. But it's amazing to me how people are so oriented to believe things are impossible instead of possible. I don't know what's up with that, but I'm on a mission to help people really embrace possibility. What are you liking? I do you believe in the possible? What do you like that way? Uh, me? To- totally. Now, for many years, uh, you know, throughout my more adulthood years, I kind of resolved, resigned myself to the I've got bills to pay. I've got a responsibility. I've just got to do this because that's what 
the man of the house does, that type of thing, you know, the the you know, the way I was raised type of mm-hmm. attitude and and um you know, I finally got to the point where I was just so painstakingly bored and unfulfilled in life just being a normal IT person. I was like, I need to do something, I need to figure something out. And I came to LinkedIn and saw all the people posting all these things and I was like I'm, that interests me. I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna, sh- you know, comment on this. I'm gonna post this. I'm gonna share uh, little tidbits here and there. And over time, you know, I started to realize that, you know, I found, I found my calling. And if I, you know, and that's the way I look at it. If I can do it, and I'm just a lowly IT guy who just, you know, like normal geek squad nerd type guy. If I can write a book and publish a book, if I can start a podcast, if I can, you know, start. Um, you know, going out and meeting people and coaching people and, and mentoring people, anybody can do it, you know, and, and, well, and disguise the limits, you know. I totally obviously agree with that, but I always, always tell people, don't say I'm just uh, anything, you know, I'm just uh, You hear that a lot. People will say that, man, those messages that we tell ourselves, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but saying I'm just a, uh, it, if you think about what those words really mean, we're minimalizing ourselves. But your story is awesome, and I'm glad you stepped out and done those things. And you're exactly right that when you say, if I can do it, anyone can do it. But, yeah, it's like we we create these rules in our head of why we can't do things. And I ha- I was raised by a mom who taught me that I could – just go for the stars and do anything. She didn't teach me um, self-doubt. I really do believe a lot of those things are taught to us from messages we hear, whether it's socially or in our family of origin, um, where, you know that movie Zootopia? I don't know if you ever saw it, but the bunny who wanted to be a police officer and her parents kept telling her that, you know, you should aim low in life so you're not disappointed. And it's just like we spend all this time trying to protect our kids. Be careful. I've been listening to the language I use with my girls. My boys, I don't think I did as much. Interestingly, we have these gender biases, right? But they'll be running or they'll climb on something. Oh, be careful, be careful. You don't want to get hurt. And I thought, well, no wonder we're all scared as hell to do anything when we get older because we hear every day of our life to be afraid and to not take risks. And they're physical warnings, but those translate to things that are beyond the physical. I've really just been paying attention to the language I use with my kids, and it's no wonder we're socialized with these very deep-seated ideas of black and white and right and wrong, and we can do this and we can't do that. I'm trying to not do that so much, to, to always make them fearful and to be careful. And and that's that's um, you know I didn't even realize I had said it that way you know until you pointed it out I was like wait yeah you're right I didn't say it that way I, and you know it's it's like uh, I, I said in one of my other books was like you know we 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 pick up these boxes that that we're supposed to fit in or these things that kind of you know the way society views the way we should be you know we're kind of taught from kids. You know, school, we pick up all these different, you know, mental baggage that kind of, like, dictates how we think we are or how we view ourselves. And, 
then, you know, we say things like I just said, you know, I'm just an IT guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here I am. I just put myself in a box of like, well, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an IT guy. That's what I'm supposed to be. That's what society has deemed that I should be. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what I've, I've accepted. And you're absolutely right. You know, language and the way we're, we, the way we raise our children, the, the social neurologistic, uh, our linguistic programming that we pick up, things we hear on television or, or in school or movies or whatever. And, and Zootopia is a perfect example of that because I love that movie, how she just was like, nope, I'm going to be a police officer and no one's going to stop me. And the parents just kept saying, no, 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 you need to raise carrots. That's what we do. Don't aim low. You won't be disappointed. You know, you'll be happy in life. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what, uh, life is for a lot of people. They just think like, this is my lot. This is what I have to do. And, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not minimizing how difficult it is because you hear the messaging that you can't do it. Then when you pursue it, you get more messaging that you can't do it. I spoke in Ottawa at a, a women's leadership summit for indigenous women. And I met this woman who's 29 years old and she's the first indigenous woman to become a heart surgeon, probably in the world, but definitely in Canada. And even after she, finished medical school and specialized in surgery, people would say to her, well, you only got this far because you're, you know, a Native American woman. And so people just gave you a spot. You didn't earn it. And she's worked her butt off, and she's really smart. And now when she's going into – she's at the Ottawa Heart Center, I believe, now – Colleagues there are telling her negative messages of why she doesn't belong there and she can't. You know, we, everyone else is raised with those same biases as well. So even when we overcome our own and we step out there, you're going to have naysayers that continue to tell you those messages. And so once you overcome it and you decide to get out of that box, you have to deal with everyone else who's trying to push you back in the box. It's unbelievable. And, you know, when I had kids, I have two older boys. They're 21 and 17. And it was very interesting to now have a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, which are both girls. Because when you have boys and girls at the same time, you may not notice as much. But when I only had boys and went for years, 12 years, of hearing how the public interacts with my children, and now my boys are older, and so one doesn't live at home. He's moved out. He's got a job, and he's in college. And um, so I have a high school senior. But so I'm mostly hanging out with the girls out in public. And here's what's interesting. People used to say completely different things to the pair of boys I had, to what they say now to the girls. All I hear every day is messaging about what my girls look like. They'll say, oh, you're so pretty. You're such a beauty. You're a princess. Are you going to be a princess when you grow up? And then they would say things to my boys like, oh, you're such a strong boy, and are you going to eat so much dinner, like when people were in restaurants? And one day, I, my five-year-old, I dressed her in blue, all in blue, and she was nine months old. And I took her to, to a restaurant, and the people at the table next to us were like, oh, you're such a big, strong little guy. You're a big, strong guy. Are you going to eat so much food? And it sounded so weird for them to talk like that to a girl. And really going through that experience was really surreal to hear this very well-intentioned messaging, but we socialize our boys that they need to be strong and tough, and we socialize our girls that they need to be pretty and demure. And I really 
am, like, I'm not, like, this raging feminist or anything like that. It really didn't reinforce to me what was going on until I experienced raising two girls and two boys 12 years apart. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, like you said, we we even if we get out of the box, we have all these other people that are also in boxes, and it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, this is this is going to follow you wherever. And um, you know, I kind of I kind of feel like the the message from Zootopia coming back a little bit on that too, where she just would not quit, she would not give up. You know, no matter what mm-hmm. anybody told her, she was like, I'm going to do this. And I think that's what a lot of times you have to do is just uh, to to name a. a a popular podcast that you've, I think you've been on, uh, Screw the Naysayers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, just keep on, uh, keep on keeping on and keep going and don't let anyone tell you that you can't, um, you know, or that you shouldn't or that you, uh, you know, that it's not good for you or that, or anything really. You know, I mean, I had a, I've got an eating disorder that I deal with that I've had since I was three. And, um, you know, my aunt told me at the age of seven that I was going to die of a heart attack at the age of 25 and that I didn't need to do that to my parents. I needed to grow up and start eating normal food. <laughs> oh, wow. And, yeah, people um, mean well, but they say things that just, uh, you know that saying, crabs in the bucket? Well, yeah, yeah. Chef, chefs know this. When you have a bucket of crabs, you don't need to have put a lid on them because as soon as one crab starts to try to get out of the bucket – the other ones grab onto it and pull it down in. So they don't they don't need to put a lid on it. And that's what you have in life is when you go for it and you break the excuse me. You break those stereotypes, there's something in people that, you know, they're jealous. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so they they, they don't want you to succeed because they're like, well who are you? You know <laughs> you're you're in this bucket too. You know, you don't need to get out. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely, and uh, and yeah, I mean, and that's the important thing is just finding those things that make you happy, and then just doing them, and you know, not letting other people talk you out of it. You know, just just you know, because that's the most important part in life is is to be happy. You know, at the end of the day, and and to enjoy life. We only get one. Might as well enjoy it while we're here, right? <laughs> that's right. And like, what's the worst thing that can happen if you pursue something? <clears throat> excuse me, and it doesn't work out. You can go back and do what you're doing before. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've I've had so many people, um, like for instance, in the podcasting world, also ask me about how I get people to, um, you know, if I ask somebody to interview, what do I do if they say no? And I'm like, ask the next person. Ask someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, you know, the worst thing that they can say is no, and then okay, well, you didn't interview them, so well, okay, well, there's, there's, uh, you know, seven billion people on the planet i'm sure you can get somebody else (laughs) yeah and i mean that's not it's not a personal rejection when people say no um i've said no to podcasts before and it's really just because where i am with with umap and uh, if people ask me while i'm getting ready to launch a new program i mean i would say no if i have travel going on uh, you know i can't guarantee that i'm going to have a stable internet connection or whatever it might require that we're doing a zoom or what have you my phone doesn't work internationally i need to take care of that but <clears throat> sometimes people just feel really underwater with what they have going on and it's not it's not personal so maybe they said yes to three already or they have they're under you know a crunch of a deadline so not everything is about you when you're quote unquote rejected 
Right. Absolutely. So the best thing to do is just be like, okay, cool. No problem. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, that's the one thing I always do when I ask somebody, if they say, you know, I can't, you know, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, you know, thank you. And, you know, then I move on to the next person because, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, like you said, you can't take it personal because, you know, like you never know what circumstances they're in. Yeah. I mean, most people are interested in, in free publicity. So if they say no, there's a reason. But this reminds me of Aaron Orendorf. Um, he's the editor-in-chief at uh, Shopify. Uh, and he uh, he has this hashtag, let's get rejected, because he talks about how rejection has really redirected him um, to, to some great things and not to look at rejection as a bad thing. Rejection and I wrote a post about this one. Rejection was the best thing to happen to me in 2018. I interviewed, or I auditioned rather. I applied for TEDx and I was accepted for auditions. And I went and auditioned and it was a bit of a cluster because I got the time wrong. I showed up 45 minutes earlier, but it didn't go in. I was waiting outside and I ended up being late, even though I was there 45 minutes early. It was just a mess, and I was frazzled, and I had to do, like, literally walk in a room and go in and start auditioning. I had no time to, like, break the ice with them or get comfortable because there was only six minutes left in my window, and the talk is five. <laughs> so I had, like, no wiggle room. So I did as best as I could, given that I was in fight or flight <laughs> at the moment. Um, so I didn't get selected. And... You you audition, at least in Charlotte TEDx, in, like, May, and then you have to do write your whole talk because you have to do the whole 18-minute talk because you only write a five, five minutes of it. And then you have to do speaker coaching for two months with, with the TEDx coaches. And my book was launching in November, and the event was in October. And I wasn't thinking about how I would not have been able to spend all the time I did. So when they rejected me, my my new MacBook would not have gone to number one in its category in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. because I would not have had the time to invest in pushing it. And ultimately, the the TEDx is kind of a bit of a vanity trip. You're not really helping people long term. You're giving them inspiration, but then they forget about you. But UMAP is going to help people long term, so it's a much better investment of my time. Absolutely, yeah, and and sometimes, like you said, that's that's something that works out too. Because as those opportunities come up, you know, they may be good for you at the time, they may not. It's best to just kind of, you know, not not get too distracted, you know, and get too spread too thin, and then you can't focus on those things that are important. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is when you get yeah, like when a door closes, you can't say, oh well, I guess I'm not meant to be successful, and then give up, like. You've got to remember that doors, the mystery of life is a beautiful thing. When doors close and unexpected one, ones open, I mean, if everything we mapped out just came to fruition exactly how we planned, that gets rid of the awe of life. You know, the awe of AWE, I mean. <laughs> the awe of, oh, my goodness, this amazing door opened to me that I never could have expected. How good is that feeling when something happens that you didn't expect or you didn't plan and the excitement of that? We would totally lose that thrill if everything we mapped out came just as we planned. I love the 
unexpected mystery of life that opens really cool opportunities that we couldn't have anticipated. It's part of the fun. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's what makes life excitable and enjoyable is, is those those moments where you're like, wow, that just happened or, you know, you you're, you know, you, like when you, you posted out about UMAP and, uh, you know, when you're just showing how it was, uh, like fighting for, uh, what colors your parachute for the number one spot <laughs> and all that. And it was like, I was, I was sitting there, I was all excited, like, okay, well, cool, who's next? You know, what's going to happen? You know, so, you know it's, it's, <laughs> it's like uh, the Super Bowl. Who's going to win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, that's that unexpectedness that really gives you that, that spice of life because you, know, you do the same thing every single day. It's kind of boring. Like you mentioned about brushing your teeth at the exact same time every day. I can't imagine the idea of doing that. Uh, that would drive me nuts. My husband does that. My husband and I are a good pair because he's very um, routine, like super-duper routine, and I am like Miss Spontaneity. He's like on the Workplace Big Five assessment that measures your methodicalness. He's got a score of like 70, and mine is like 44. <laughs> And anytime you have like a score of like ten points or more, it's like pretty radically different. But I appreciate the discipline he brings to my life, and I think he appreciates a bit of the flair that I add to his because I'm more spontaneous. So he spends time with more people, and and I have a budget <laughs> because of him. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing you've got to find somebody that balances you. Me and my wife are are very much on that same as well where uh you know she's more of the spontaneous let's just get up and do something and i'm more of generally the routine except for the brushing the teeth thing i i i, I don't think i could be that that disciplined but um <laughs> but yeah it's good to have that because it, it kind of helps me break out of my shell because i honestly don't believe that i would have ever went to linkedin local if it wasn't for having her changing me so much uh, as a person <laughs> um, oh that's you know, interesting and yeah, I was surprised exactly. when I found out you worked in IT because you're you, you're always at every LinkedIn local, at least that I can recall, and and really engaged. And you showed up to my book signing, which was so awesome. I was really, really, really honored by that. Uh, I really was. If I didn't have a chance to express that, I'm expressing it now. So then when I heard you were in IT, I was like, wait, hold the phone. That means you're probably an introvert. Like, what are you doing at all the LinkedIn locals? So your wife. So we have your wife to to thank for that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I have a tendency where I I just stay at home and you know <laughs> not go out, and she kind of gets me to go out and be more social. And so I kind of picked up on that, and I was like, oh, LinkedIn local in Charlotte. That sounds interesting. And so I I went <laughs> and met you and Lori and ever and Gary and everyone else, and it was just amazing and then after that I was addicted I was like oh yeah another one yep I'm there <laughs> you know I, I love that you that you appreciate I'm actually certified in um, human behavior and human behavior consulting and so I actually do like this this coaching using the disc assessment to help people um, it's uh, couples coaching I do couples coaching because personality is one of the number one things that cause conflicts in relationships values do too but um, personality is a pretty big problem. Um, and it's, I love that you're embracing how, how you fill in each other's gaps and the benefits of that. That's how I've approached my relationship with my husband, that our differences make us better together because we cover our bases more. And it's kind of interesting when I, when I do the couples coaching, that people view the strengths 
of the other person's personality as weaknesses because they're not like they are. And that's really a missed opportunity because if you appreciate when someone's different from you and realize that their motives are not to drive you crazy, they're just trying to do the best they can and they're trying to just live out their preferred preferences, their natural motivations and preferences, just like you are. But then we look at that other person and we want to change them and not allow them to live out of their natural motivations and preferences. And I could talk about that subject all day long, which I know we don't have time. But that's my second passion is helping people appreciate their partner's personality and gifts and talents and not trying to make them another you because you could have just stayed single, right? Yeah, there's a mirror. You can get it for 14 bucks at, at well, I was going to say Kmart, but they don't exist anymore, but Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, you just look at yourself like, like uh, you know, like Narcissus and in the pool and, you know, just enjoy your company. Yeah, nobody to change. I'm just like I want me to be. <laughs> yep. You look just like me. You're perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it does make me yeah. sad though when I when I meet people who try to change their spouses because that person could have married someone else who would have been thrilled and happy with who that person is. And like you had the option to say no when they asked you to marry them or you asked you asked them or they asked you. Um, you know, let people be who they are. They could have been happy with someone who loved them for themselves. That's that's the sadness I feel when when people try to change someone else. It's like we don't have that right either. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we we if if somebody comes and tries to change you, you're like, oh wait a second, what are you trying to do? You know, step back. You know, if it's like someone you don't know, you know, you're like, hey, who do you think you are telling me? I shouldn't be doing this, you know, or whatever. And then, you know, but we do, we try and do that to our, to our spouse. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not really, that's not how it works. You know, just, just, you know, you're two different people and be glad that you are because, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're, they're sharpening or not sharpening, they're, they're smoothing off your rough edges and you're smoothing off their rough edges and, you know, so that you fit together as a couple. Yeah. And I'm not talking about behavior. Right? Because if somebody's like smacking you around oh. or speaking disrespectfully, I mean, yeah, those conversations, that person needs to change. The best apology is change behavior. But personalities are not good or bad. And really, when we try to change someone's personality to be more like us, we're assigning good and bad. My personality is good. You need to be more like me, and yours is bad. That's just right. really unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that was probably a bad example, but I was just thinking of, like, you know, if somebody says, oh, yeah, you shouldn't honk your horn or whatever, you know, and you're like, no, that's what I do. I'm from New York or whatever. <laughs> you know, that's how I talk to people. You know, that type of thing, that's that's the way I kind of meant that was, like, you know, just, like, you know, if somebody were to say something like that to you, you know, you'd be like, no, no, that's just normal. That's me. That's what, who I am, you know. So. One of the things that I that I do sometimes in my business, I used to do it a lot more. I'm really focused on UMAP now, but I would do coaching with leaders that, um, their their employees were struggling to to follow them, <laughs> and so uh, I'd have to tactfully tell them, you know, your behavior is making your people crazy. How you um, walk in their office and just demand things—it's mostly dominance-driven personalities, which I have myself. But um, it's mostly dominance-driven personalities that people struggle with. Although dominance-driven employees will struggle with. Um, steady managers that struggle with decision making. 
So, I mean, people tend to struggle with the opposite personality. But anyway, the long and short of it is they would say things like, well, you know, they just are misunderstanding me or that's how I am and people need to accept it. And when when the, the personality is being confused, right? Yeah, your personality can stay exactly the same, but I need you to behave differently. You can't go in and, like, start barking at people in meetings in front of people and, and making them feel like they're two feet tall. So a lot of times when you address the behavior, people will accuse you of trying to change who they are because they're tying personality to behavior, which are two different things. Anyway, I could talk about that all day. <laughs> all right. Well, um, yeah, and, and uh, I think I think we're going pretty long here. So, um, yeah, just that I – yeah, we're, wow, we're almost an hour. Wow. <laughs> Time flies. Uh, yeah, having fun. Oh, absolutely, and this has been such a great conversation. So thank you for coming on the show, and I appreciate having you for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, I almost forgot there for a second. As far as UMAP goes, if you're listening, definitely go out and check out this book. It has been such a help to me. I'm still working through it. Uh, there, There is uh, homework <laughs> stuff uh, to work through <laughs> as well. Um, so I'm still working through that, but definitely I recommend it. And uh, Kristen, what's the best ways to get in touch with you, to find you, to engage you, uh, and, and what to do? Well, people can email me at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at myumap.com, or connect with me on LinkedIn, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, S-H-E-R-R-Y, Kristen Sherry. I'm the one in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes, yeah, so... Yeah, that's actually how we met. We're LinkedIn local Charlotte. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, um, you know, uh, connect with her. If you are in one of those jobs where you're just like, I'm not really happy, but I'm just doing it, you map Chris and Sherry. That's definitely the way to go. So, by all means, and uh, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey, everybody. David here from Car Thoughts with David, and I just wanted to share some information with you. You guys have heard me talk about finding your way, finding your path, and starting your journey. Well, if you have decided that you want to start your own podcast, you might be thinking, well, David, that's great, but what do I do? How do I do this? You know, what works? What doesn't work, right? Well, I wrote a book because you can go back and find my episodes where I talk about all this stuff and listen to them. And that's all well and good, but sometimes it's easier just to have it in print where you can just see it, right? So I wrote the book called Introduction to Podcasting, Lessons Learned, Lessons Shared. You can pick it up on Amazon on Kindle for 99 cents, less than a dollar. What? That's crazy, right? Less than a dollar, you can pick it up on Kindle. If you like to have a print book in your hands and you just like the way it feels, and trust me, I'm looking at this book right now, it's really well printed. I love Kindle Publishing. You can pick it up for $5.50. So you can have a physical copy where you can take notes, where you can you know, keep stuff for quick reference while you're working on creating that awesome epic podcast that I know you're capable of creating. So... By all means, if you're looking for ways, you're looking for advice, Introduction to Podcasting, Lessons Learned, Lessons Share is the book for you.
Thank you guys. And I could not do any of this without your support. So when I say thank you, I mean it. Thank you.